You pour your heart into your business, you give to your clients, and you take care of your family and your community. And you put off taking care of yourself. When you only focus on doing, you bottle up your emotions, which taxes your body and depletes your energy. You struggle to show up, to keep up, and to create results. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross. About 10 years ago, I burned out of the only career I thought I'd ever have. I got divorced, and I was crushed with chronic illness and pain. Now I have a business that I love, a husband I can grow with, and my health is on track. Through the power of coaching, I have come to recognize the resilience and power I carry within my soul. You have this resilience and power as well. Welcome to Inflow with Soul, where we create the space for playful restoration. Space to pause, to play, and to connect with your soul. Because when you take care of you, your results will take care of themselves. Welcome to Inflow with Soul. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross, and today I have Julie Ellison with us. Julie's company is Watch Her Grow. It is a boutique bookkeeping and financial service company for women entrepreneurs. Julie, I am so excited to have you here for this conversation today. Mary, I am super excited to be here as well. This is like my highlight of the day, getting to talk to you. Um, I feel like we share some of the same backgrounds um, and how we connected. It's just kind of like been a a perfect fit um, in getting to know you and the work that you're doing. So super excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. So let's start with Julie. Tell us a little bit about how Watch Her Grow came to be. Yeah, so um, I have a long history um, working in um, a variety of large companies, uh, various roles with financial backgrounds. So I was an accounting um, major in undergrad years ago, um, worked in a lot of Fortune 500 companies, and it sort of honestly for me um, got to be a little bit of a drudgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I was looking at your website, I saw a term that you use that um, you said living by default. Um, so I, so I felt like I got to the point where I was living by default. Um, I was successful. I had, you know, saved a lot of, of companies, a lot of money. So some of the things I would do, um, inside companies is help them figure out ways to be more profitable, which oftentimes, um, led to having to let people go, restructuring, moving products from one plant to another, Um, potentially moving something overseas versus keeping things in the United States. And a lot of focus on profits and a lot of focus on targets. So publicly held companies are obviously um, really beholden to their investors. And every year there would be a target setting process. And every year um, you have to show growth. I mean, that's how the stock market works. They're looking for, you know, five to 7%. They're looking for you to cut costs. Um, it's just continual. Um, and actually, we sort of, um, some of us laughed at some points. If you look at like strategic plans of major companies out like really long, like 10 years, like at some point, based on the mathematical theory, you get to the point where product costs nothing right. <laughs> because you, you've gotten it like less expensive every year, every year, every year. Yeah. Um, and so at some point you start to question, wait a minute, does this model really, does this model really work? Yeah. Um, and so in truthfulness, um, I had been through many um, restructurings over my career. If you're inside a major company, it feels like about every two to three years, there's a restructuring where people are let go or they change leadership. And 
you know, redesign things. You know, we move this task from point A to point B and, and things like that. And um, at the end of 2015, the company that I was work for was working for was being acquired by another and they were merging. Um, and I decided at that time that that was the perfect time for me to step aside and do something different. Um, and again, it wasn't like some big monumental thing where like somebody came to me and they're like, oh, um, this is what you're going to be doing. And this is perfect. It was really just more of a, I can't do this anymore. I just, I really, I couldn't physically, it was, it was um, too much stress on my body. Um, and I, I wasn't doing meaningful work. I, I didn't feel like I was really helping in any way. Um, my coworkers, um, our customers, it just, it wasn't working. And so I took a little bit of time off and I sort of, you know, it was kind of like, what am I going to do? I did a lot of different things that people do, got into more, um, some creative endeavors. So just things um, that nourished myself. Um, I did go through like yoga teacher training um, a few years ago, which I really loved. And that was a way of kind of um, reconnecting. But I just started, um, I said, okay, I'll just start my own business. Um, and again, it's always People are thinking about, oh, when I start my own business, I got to lay out these things. The actual part of starting a business, as you know, is quite easy um, in that, you know, you file some paperwork, you pick out a name, you check to see if someone owns the domain, you know, you get a tax ID and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm a company. This is right. super easy. But I wasn't really clear on what my purpose was and what I was going to do. So I spent several years doing um what I would consider like consulting through through my company had a lot of different clients. Again, um, like you know, healthcare. I worked at hardware, just kind of like all over the board, more on project basis, where I would come in and help them do something they needed to do. I love the part of working for yourself. Um, that part is fantastic, and we can maybe talk a little bit more about that. But I still found that I was working for clients that were very much like the, the places that I had left and a lot of the same structures and goals. And so it was really rather recently that I decided that I really wanted to focus on women-owned businesses. Um, and I think you and I share some of the same like personal background at, at my age, and I, I, I know it may differ based on your generation, um, you know, I'm coming out of the era of being born in the late 60s, early 70s, where um, things were different for women. They are still different for women. Um, but having lived through that experience and what the expectations are of women and finding our voices, it's taken me personally a long time to find my voice and to be comfortable with who I am. Um, and so I wanted to help other women in that regard. And I also wanted to help them from the standpoint of um, I'm a single mom, at least, you know, for the past many years, that a lot of people at the lower end of the financial spectrum in our country are single women. And you see that today with, you know, COVID and a lot of those positions being let go. And a lot of those women are challenged to find daycare, to find meaningful work. Um, and they're bright women. And we have so much to offer. And I, I really just wanted to be a part of that solution. And so I sat down and did a little creative art thing, trying to come up with what I wanted to do with, you know, magazines and sticking things on poster board, trying to think about keywords that meant something to me. Um, and the feminine meant something to me, which is how I, you know, got to her. Um, okay. Whether you're masculine or feminine, that is in both, you know, people, that feminine part. Right. Um, and then growing. I want, I want to grow women as people, and using our voices. And I also want to grow their businesses. So because the business is a way for them to get that independence. 
um, and to use their voice um, and, you know, just have some agency over their lives in a way that perhaps maybe they didn't before. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of probably too long of an answer. No, it's an it's an amazing answer. We you covered so much territory. So I want to go back to the piece about when you knew it was time to leave corporate America. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I heard you say is that uh, you felt like there was you were being it, it, stress, right? It sounded like maybe burnout. I don't think you used that word, but would that word apply? Yes. Yeah. So a sense of burnout and a lack of meaning to the work, right? Is so that's okay. So that's when you said, I can do this on my own. But then I also heard you say, as you were t- t- uh, kind of closing the story, is that coming from that generation of the late 60s, early 70s, struggling to find your voice. Tell me about that gap between I'm, I'm burning out. I know this corporate job's not for me anymore. I don't quite know my voice yet. Um, and, and so how did you find that? You talked a little bit about the, the boards and, and finding the words, but how did you actually find your voice? Yeah. Um, I would love to be able to say that it's like a, it was like a one year thing or I took a class or something like that. It's actually something that I probably feel a little embarrassed about that it has taken me so long to be able to articulate things that are important to me and to live a life that I feel good about. Um, I think for a lot of women, it goes back to just how we were are raised and, you know, subliminal messages that we get from our parents on what girls are capable of, what they should aspire to. And it's not even so much just like what jobs, because a lot of it comes back to that. Sure. I think it's just how we carry ourselves and how we care for others and um, what we can ask for, you know, having our needs met. So I think a lot of that goes back um to my childhood and feeling like I could not make people be uncomfortable. Um, that whole thing with, you know, if you're a strong woman or you say what you think, people are uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, you will get negative comments on social media. You, um, you know, it's, it, it requires a certain strength and ability to stand on your own. Um, and in terms of how I did it, I think for me, it was honestly life experiences that I, I'm not sure that I, would have asked for or signed up for. Um, some of it is I have two sons. So raising um, sons who are now adults um, and wanting to be intentional about that and more looking at from a standpoint of who they might marry and wanting to set an example of what I wanted those women <laughs> to experience in their marriages. Um, I got divorced um, probably like 10 or so years ago. Um, which was a a very challenging experience, mostly from the standpoint that it was a very drawn out um, legal thing. So I was required to stand up for myself in a way that I had never been required to before. So that was a personal thing. Um, Yeah. And I, I think just as you get older in life, I got to this point where I'm like, you know, when you hit like 40s and 50s, at least for me, you're sort of on the back end of life. And what do I want to be contributing? And just this awareness of, okay, I'm going to continue on the same path. Um, and my life will end and I will have never taken the chances and I will have never risked being the person that I want to be and the things that I want to do because I'm afraid of it. <laughs> That's what it ultimately came down to me. So just having to say, okay, it's going to be really uncomfortable. You're going to be afraid of these things. Um, even this, like, like doing a video, sharing yourself with others. It's all a very um, vulnerable place to be. 
Um, but I just decided that I had to do it. And I, I think that that little core of something exists inside everybody. Yeah. It's just whether we listen to it um, and allow ourselves the space to listen to it and not do it perfectly. Right. Yeah. I love that what you just added there at the end, you don't have to do it perfectly. No, it's not. It's not going to be perfect. It's just not ever. Not, which, is, it's, which is really hard. It's hard. And it's hard just for anyone as an adult to come out and do something new. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you and I have talked about this before. I feel like as a woman that sometimes women are more critical of women than men are of women or men are of other men. Um, and so to be a woman who's putting yourself out there and seeking something and being true to yourself, I, I do think it draws some attention from other women that is oftentimes, um, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable, right? And especially if you add on that layer um, of having to please everyone, right? Another typical, uh, I'm going to speak for myself, 70s kind of training as as the female, I was expected to be the peacemaker and to not let make anybody upset or to get anybody upset with me, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh it's I think it's probably the number one trait of so many women, right? For it, sure. It's just it's ingrained. It really is. Um I'm trying to work on this process every day of trying to like catch myself. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's like 20 to 30 times a day still where I catch myself saying something or doing something that I'm trying to stop. It's just it, it's on that like cellular level, right? Yeah, exactly. like they soak in, and they just stay there. Right. Yeah. I often, uh, when I start working with a client, start with creating self-awareness. So beginning to listen to that voice in the head, not diminishing it or, you know, wishing it wasn't there. I, I think there's a lot of value to what that voice tells us. I don't think we should agree with everything that that voice tells us because I, that voice to me is the voice of our ego and our ego is about protecting us. And so it's really driven by fear. And so if we listen to that voice, then we're going to get all of those fear messages. However, by listening to that voice, we do hear what we are afraid of, or we hear what's holding us back. You know, when I hear myself, um, one of my things is I'm always in a rush. I'm always in a hurry. And I'm catching myself like, why do I have to be done with this right now? I just started it, right? Because as soon as I sit down with one thing, I feel like I should be on to the next thing already. And just listening to that inner chatter of, well, if you don't get this done, then this is going to happen. And just, as you said, listening to it over and over and over again, and then countering that with what is true now. Because maybe that was true for me at one point. I mean, I, I, I trust the, the ego. I trust that it has uh, put rules in place for us that keep us safe, keep us um, comfortable. Yeah. Um, and that's its job. And so I respect the job that it's doing, and it's a great way to learn about how I'm holding myself back. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, one of the things that I've started to do, because my older son will notice to me or comment, when I, when I have left my body, and it's a thing from like yoga, just, you know, trying to come back to the moment and always be grounded, you know, where you are and to really experience it as opposed to escaping and leaving, um, which is hard. So that's a, a you know, a fear thing. Mm -hmm. too, right? When you find yourself wanting to escape <laughs> from, from whatever is like in front of you in that moment to just really trying to like take a step back, ground yourself, you know, take a breath, be where you are. Um, and then you can 
listen to it, I think, a little bit more clearly. Is this message, you know, something I need to listen to right now? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. So where you are now then, where are you at now in your business? How do you um, manage any any of those voices that might still be popping up? What are those voices that are popping up for you now? Yeah, so we we're definitely we're still like in the um, what I consider like the growth phase. We're still growing. Everything still feels very new and um, and fresh in terms of um, getting new clients. I'm loving working with women. Um, that part has been really phenomenal. I'm still though an entrepreneur. I have like the equivalent of a half of a person right now who's helping me with some things. So I don't have like a staff of like 13 people. Yeah. Um, we're working on growing, but for me that that is still a lot of you know a burden on me in terms of meeting client expectations, um, in terms of the work that I'm doing, but then also um, growing and putting myself out there. So I, I you know I write my own blog posts, which has been something I've always wanted to do because that's a creative side of me that feeds me. And yet it takes me like 20 hours to write you know one post, right? <laughs> right, right. So, it, so it's like this, um, it's like this, you know, this constant of any entrepreneur of where do I put my attention to first and trying not to get into the crazy of triage, like you just said, like not everything is has to be done right now. It's not so important. Um, I would say I feel very confident in the financial things that I'm offering. I have a lot of experience and I feel very grounded in that and being able to help people. The piece that I still personally work on is the selling of myself and putting myself out there, um, which is why I forced myself to do some of these articles, um, putting myself on social media. I recorded a video for the first time a couple of weeks ago. It was actually really awesome. intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> that, so those kinds of things are things that I personally um, am still trying to work through. And for me as a woman, at least the feedback that I've always gotten is this like trying to walk this fine line between putting yourself out there and not being the girl in big britches or, you know, she's too big for her britches or, that energy that, again, is my, my self-talk from whatever, that women are not supposed to be big, we're supposed to be small, we're supposed to be sweet, we're supposed to be, you know, demure or whatever, right? Right. Um, so that, that's a, a challenge. How you, how, if you're an entrepreneur, I heard somebody say this before, you have to be in selling. You have to be yeah. willing to convince people that what you do is worthwhile and that you're good at it and you're not going to get customers or clients by sitting at home behind your whatever you you have to be able to do it and it is a skill set i will tell you it is a skill set right yeah um so that that's my my personal challenge um is still trying to be comfortable in that way mm-hmm. I, you know i put some um i put something out on social media it was something that i'd written and of course you know you get a troll so that's so right. those those types of things and just being able to ignore navigate rise above keep your energy focus on what's important, focus on the people that are helping you, nurturing you, Mm -hmm. those things, right? It's just like developing a muscle, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a great analogy. As you were uh, describing again, your your shift from corporate into um, your own voice. One of the things that popped into my head is something that I learned that 
help put some structure. I love structure. I love systems, right? I, I like a framework. Then I want to be able to deviate from it, but I want to know what the general framework is. So this framework that um, I was introduced to, and right now off the top of my head, I'm not going to be able to quote who it was. I'll put that in the notes later. But there, there's um, stages of development and of stages of power. And um, in the first two stages, the first stage of power is power by um, association. So think about when you're in school, you're, you're with the right group, you're with the right family, you're in the right community, those kinds of things. So you, you gain power through association. The second level of power then is through achievement. So now that I know the right people, now I'm, I'm going to achieve, right? And so all of this so far in these first two stages is very externally driven. We make a lot of compromises sometimes with, to fit into the group that we want to fit into. Um, because we want what they want or we want what they have. And so we try to shape ourselves into who they are so that we can get what they get. Mm-hmm. And um, then through the achievement. And then what happens, I think a lot of us stop developing at that point. So I got the job, I got the car, I got the house or whatever it is, I got it. And now what? I mean, a lot of my clients come to me, women who are you know in their 60s ready to retire. And they're like, what have I done? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it breaks my heart because they have followed the rules. I was, I was taught to be a rule follower too. Again, I like to break them, but ultimately I'm a rule follower and, um, trying to meet everyone's expectations. So these first two stages are very externally driven. And sometimes even if we achieve what we thought we wanted, we can still feel unfulfilled. So the next stage of development then is, I think they call it reflection. And this is, if you're familiar with like uh, the Hobbit, the, the hero's journey, this is where you go into the dark cave of the soul kind of thing, where you, you discover all of these rules that we've been living by. How have I been holding myself back? And am I willing to let go of some of these rules in order to create new rules for myself? Or am I going to stay who I am? So it's really this whole opportunity to, to be that butterfly, right? Um, I was a caterpillar. I've always been a caterpillar. I'm really good at being a caterpillar, but now I have this urge to become a butterfly. And I have all of everything that it takes to be a butterfly. I just don't know how to organize it. So that I think is the biggest challenge of being a human being is will I answer the call? to go into that dark uh, cave of the soul? Or am I just going to stay comfortable, right? The ego says, stay comfortable, stay safe. This is good for you here. When we make that path through the um, cave of the soul and we come out at the other end of that hero's journey, now we have power through, um, I think it's through influence. And the last one is power through um, wisdom. So I love this this outline because it really shows us that, yeah, in the beginning of our lives, we should be learning a lot from other people, putting ourselves in those right, uh, I use right loosely, putting ourselves in those um, environments that give us the opportunity to, to figure out who we, who we are, who we really want to be, and to practice um, the achievement, right? What can I do with this? Now that I've learned it, what can I do with it? But then ultimately, who am I going to be? Am I going to stand in, in my shoes? Am I going to, am I going to use my voice or am I going to use somebody else's voice forever? So I really love that in the notes. Again, I'll put the, uh, the reference for that because I think it's a really powerful tool to realize where am I on this spectrum? 
right? And it's okay because I think, again, that whole uh, power through reflection piece is so uncomfortable. It's frightening. And if you don't have some, the, the whole hero's journey, we need a Gandalf. We need somebody to walk with us who can help us navigate these very unknown and treacherous uh, path that we're on. So that's what I want to do for the clients that I work with is to help them through that piece so that they can come out the other side grounded in who they are in their power and um, create the magic that that leads to. Yeah, I relate to that a lot. I just wrote an article actually on the on my blog about that, about following rules that went all the way back to my childhood. And it is sort of the same thing um, that you're talking about. And it is very uncomfortable and for me, one of the things that, that you, when you were talking that jogged my memory is how difficult it is for me coming out of corporate America to put my voice out there surrounded by all of these others who may, I, I'm not making an assumption on whether they're stepping out and using their own voice or not. But from my perspective, that feels very much like everyone following the same and following the rules. And for me to step out of that from my peer set that I've worked with for 25 plus years and put myself out there publicly in that way. Um, so that's probably the phase where I'm at and it, and it is rather daunting and yet it's also very freeing. Yeah. Um, and it's also, there are pieces where you do that and you get, you know, I don't know, just little bits of something from people that you wouldn't think, um, you know, you were connecting to in some sort of, some sort of way. Um, but yeah, there, I mean that it, it's hard. I, I call it standing in the center of a circle. So are you standing, yes. can you stand in, can you stand in the center of that circle with your peer set around you and say something that they are largely going to disagree with? Um, or, you know, something like that, right? It's, it's yeah. challenging. It's challenging for anybody. Right. And yet it's also how you find your power because when you are able to do that, um, yeah, you're, you're coming back to yourself. You're like, I can stand in the circle. <laughs> I'm not going to fall over. I love it. Right. I think that framework is, again, it's just so powerful to know this is where I am in this process. Where have I been? Where am I going? And it is worth it on the other side of this. Yeah. And to your point, having a coach or somebody along with you, because there's plenty of times when you fall over or whether it's just something that doesn't go well, or you've got certain feedback or somebody's bumping up against you as you're trying to do that. Um, Cause a lot of people will not want you to do that, right. Whether it's family or coworkers or bosses will not want you to succeed in that way. Um, that having a coach or somebody along there with you can bring you back to, Oh, this is just part of the process. Right. And you're at the stage or shedding. This is part of it. It's natural. You're going to lose some people to gain some others. Right. That's just, that's part of it. Right. Right. Yeah. One of the other topics you and I have bonded on is the, the topic of profit. Yeah. And um, we had spoken about uh, the fact that I'm working on my certification for profit first and, and you're a bookkeeper. And I heard you mention that even when you were in corporate, it was all really about profit. So talk to me about how, what approach do you take to profit for women entrepreneurs? Yeah. So um, actually, I, I wrote an interesting thing about this, too. It was like how to plan during COVID yeah. um, for me. So I, um, I have spent a lot of years helping um, companies do financial planning or strategic thinking. 
And again, a lot of it uh, comes down to, um, you know, profit. How are we going to make more money? That's the end all be all. I personally, and this is what I do with my own business. And I will tell you that it, it is a daily thing. It is not a one-time thing. We do it on a piece of paper. It is um, being very intentional about the decisions you make and why you make them. So when somebody is thinking about starting a business, I like to start from the framework of what are you offering and who are you serving? So really thinking through instead of, because we immediately go to, am I going to make money on this? Right. Or how can I, how can I, how can I, how can I sell myself? Um, you know, to maximize my profit or what channels should I be selling in and, and those types of things. So there is a place for that. Absolutely. hundred percent, but start with a conversation of where is my passion? What do I really want to be doing? Who am I serving? Um, and to come back to that every single time you're faced with a big decision. And we try to do that here. You know, somebody needs help. Well, is it a women owned business or is it not, you know, does this fit in with what we're, um, working towards, um, you know, can I help this person? Can I not help this person? Those types of things. And then setting targets for yourself up front for your company that are not financially driven. So like at Watch Her Grow, every year we choose a partner, um, a percent of our revenue goes to that partner um, that helps women. Um, can you put some metrics in place that are not financial in, in nature? Like one of my goals is, you know, I want to get to the point where I can hire three interns um, over the summer to give, you know, some women who might be um, not as well off as others the opportunity to work for a company and get some experience. Um, and then longer term, you know, who can I employ? Because if my business is successful, I can bring in other women who might be single moms or need a flexible arrangement or whatever, and I can help their lives drastically in that way. And so that can be a goal of my business, not necessarily making profit. So to me, there's a lot up front in the planning of your business. And those are the things that get me really excited um, of the things that you that I can do and that, um, you know, bring meaning to my to my life. Um, then, of course, you have to have the profit conversation because you can't stay in business if your, you know, expenses are exceeding your revenues. Right. Um, so you you do have to put some thought into, um, you know, are you go, are you going to make some money? And some of the things that I encourage people to do is when you're um, starting a business or really any any point in your business is to one do some type of longer term plan. Um, you'd be surprised. Um, a lot of small businesses haven't done any longer term planning, like even for the first year. And the reason why that's important is when you're starting up, as you know, there are, can be a lot of expenses up front and the right. revenue doesn't come until later. So there's a lot of, of documentation and people written about startups out there and terms like the runway, right? You start out investing a lot and then you make a lot of money. Um, and those are good frameworks, but just, you know, even if your business is really small, thinking about do I have to buy inventory up front? Um, can I avoid certain long-term commitments? Can I avoid a lease? Can I avoid hiring somebody until the point in time when my revenue comes in? Just thinking through those things and the timing and a timeline. So if you use a year, like for 12 months, when do I think my revenue is going to come in? When am I actually paying expenses? And do I have the cash flow to sustain that startup or am I going to end up going out of business before I really even take off? So that that's something that I always encourage people to do. If you're sitting on a lot of cash and that's less of a concern for you, obviously that's not as important because there are people out there who, have, you know, they have lots of money to play with. Um, right. But if you're, if you're trying to do it um, on your own, that's definitely something I would recommend. 
Um, and the other thing is, you know, you hear people talk about margins or break even. If you're selling a product, it is sort of important to look at, you know, what's in the marketplace today and what other people are selling it for. Mm -hmm. um, just to give an idea of, am I going to be a premium product to that? Am I going to be like the, the cheaper version of that? But thinking about what your price point might be, that's going to change probably, you know, five to seven times. That's okay. But sure. run some different scenarios. What if I sell it for $5? What if it only sells for $2? Those types of things. And then how much is it actually costing me to make? Because again, you would be surprised that um, some people are actually not making money because they haven't put down on a piece of paper what they actually can sell it for versus what it's costing them to make. Um, same thing with services. It's not a product, but like, you know, if I'm billing myself at a certain rate per hour, um, is that number one enough for me to live on? Is that enough for me to pay my expenses? Or if I'm paying an employee or I have subscriptions to software, just really looking at looking at that on a piece of paper. And again, I'm really big into scenarios like, you know, just high, medium, low. Here's my best case. Because mm -hmm. um, I, I sometimes feel like financial people are the anchors. And I, I don't like owning this persona, but in some ways I feel like it, it's a very important position. So for entrepreneurs, it's like, yes, have your best case, you know, way out there. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to be the, the greatest influencer. I'm going to make all this money. I'm going to do all these great things, but then also have, this is my anchor. This is my, when everything doesn't go the way that I thought it was going to go, can I hold down my company? And have that scenario. So that's where, you know, maybe volume only comes through at 30% of what I thought. I, I get two clients instead of five in the first year. What does that look like for you? Just think it through. It doesn't have to be in Excel, but even on like a just a piece of paper. Sure. Right. Um, what those different scenarios are. And then weigh how comfortable you are with each of them, right? Um, and how much risk you're willing to bear. If you need cash, where you might go if you need to get some cash what you might do on the side, like a lot of people who are starting out have side gigs. Um, am I, you know, can I temp somewhere? Am I contracting somewhere? I have something part-time that will bring in some cash while I, while I try and start off. Um, and I haven't mentioned the other scenario, which is definitely still out there. There are a lot of entrepreneurs who work with investors. They come up with a really big idea and then they essentially go sell it um, to one of the large um, places that's giving funding. Sure. Um, to get money to come in. So that obviously is a is an option too. Yeah. Um, you just then have to weigh the cost of somebody else having a significant interest in your company, right? And, and right. how much you want to give up. And then in terms of coming back to the profit conversation, if you want to make your company less about profit, keep it owned by yourself or your small few as opposed to outside investors because they will absolutely be expecting a return on their investment and they'll be expecting it every single year. And it doesn't give you as much flexibility. Like in a year of COVID, there might be some companies that are like, wow, we took a loss this year, but Hey, I don't have to tell anybody. Right. right <laughs> it's right. just, I'm the only one who has to know. I know that I'm going to be fine next I mean, year. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can withstand short term financial difficulties without um, a lot of, you know, whatever problems with your investors who are, are not going to be very happy about that and expecting you to make short-term decisions about laying off people and things like that in order to make sure they still get their money. So th that is just my, my opinion. It's not like the end all be all. There are plenty of people who've been very successful by bringing in outside investors 
um, especially for a share of their company and making money um, yeah. that way. It just depends on your goals. Okay. Well, right. while you were describing that, um, I was thinking about the clients that I'm working with now. And uh, these are often, um, uh, they're women entrepreneurs who are just running the show by themselves, kind of like you and I, right? We're running our own shops yep. here. And um, when we start the conversation about finances, how are you keeping track of your business expenses, your business income? And I usually get uh, some variants of, oh, I, I, I don't have any idea what to do. Like it's the best that I can do. Or I just send everything to my accountant at the end of the year and hope that he can figure it out. So do you have any tips or tricks for what are some very basic bookkeeping kinds of systems that every woman entrepreneur should be starting with from day one? Um, okay, so first of all, full disclosure, I'm a QuickBooks online pro advisor. So there are uh, there are other things out there. QuickBooks is not the only thing. Um, I like it from, you know, I did pass the CPA years ago. So there are some accounting things that I do like about QuickBooks. It is set up for um, accountants. Um, what I would suggest is early on in your business, I would just add it to one of the things you do when you get your tax ID, you get your legal name, is to su get a subscription to some type of accounting software. And the reason why I suggest getting it up front is because it's relatively inexpensive. Like I think QuickBooks, the lowest membership is $20 a month, um, going up to maybe 70 or more, depending on how many users you want and things yeah. like that. Um, because what I see happen, honestly, is what you sort of just mentioned is that people start out, they don't do it. And then between 18 months and two years later, I get the, I get calls. I'm working with two women right now. Oh my God, my business is taking off. And everything's messed up, right? Okay. Um, can you help? And so, yes, yeah, so I, I can certainly come in and we clean up your QuickBooks, but number one, it's more expensive. So it's a lot harder to come back in two years after something's been set up and unwind it and go through all the transactions that have transpired and put them in the right place right. Um, in order to get them started. Whereas if you set it up up front um, and you're capturing all of your business expenses, it's there. You can QuickBooks can be intimidating for some non-financial people. You can use somebody to get you on it, right? Just get me set up, get my basic account set up. There are rules that you set up. It links to your bank accounts and your credit card. So all the transactions can come in automatically and you can set up rules to help you post them to the right place. Then you're at a much better place than you guessing as a non-accounting person where something should go and, and putting it on the balance sheet when it should have been an expense, um, and, and mucking things up. So that's one. The second thing I, I would say is that at some point in your business, you're probably going to want to get a loan. So like we all just went through PPP, you know, and one of the things that banks always ask for is let me see your financials. So a tax person, yes, great. Once a year, you have to file your taxes. They know the ins and outs of that. Yeah. But doing your taxes is not understanding the health of your business and so to go to get a loan or to make any longer term decisions, they want to see your financials. And that's more than just your income statement. So your income statement is, you know, just what I gained or lost during the year, right? I made money or I lost money. The balance sheet is what is my company worth? So that's like, do I have accounts receivable? Do I have loans that I owe people? Maybe I have a vehicle that I purchased or I have a building. Those are the types of things that somebody uses to assess the value of your company. Um, so you have to have a balance sheet. A lot of the apps that are out there just track your expenses. Right. So a lot of, oh, I'm using this app. It's great. Yeah, I think that's great in the beginning, but it's not 
your balance sheet. It doesn't, it doesn't help you manage your business in terms of if people owe you money or you owe them money or how much cash I have. It's just saying what came in and out. So if you're picking software, choose something that has a balance sheet. Because when you go to get a loan or, you, or anything, an investor, they're going to want to look at that and see what is the health of, um, of your business. And again, it's, it's really easy to easier to set it up up front than to come back later and try and um, set it up later. And, it, and then also usually when somebody wants it, they want it now, right? So right. there's a reason, oh my gosh, I need financials. I'm trying to get this loan. And then it's like, you know, stressful because... You're trying to go back and um, and gather all that that information, and sometimes depending on if you're selling a product like something small, it can be a, thousands of transactions, right? Right. Uh, yeah. So does that answer, did that answer your question? Yeah, I really you really drove home the importance of having all of this set up in the beginning. Is there a basic structure for a setup? Like, so let's say I get Quicken or I get QuickBooks. And there's all kinds of options for accounts, right? At least in the QuickBooks that I have, like I could have chosen from a hundred seem like different accounts. It's really intimidating, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. So is there any way to simplify that? Uh, well, first of all, something like QuickBooks does have some basic frameworks. And when you set up with them, they give you like a general, um, general accounts. Like they'll give you a cash account. If you set up it as a, well, let me step back for a second. To choose between accrual-based accounting and cash-based accounting is um, another consideration. So most people, when they start out, start out as a cash-based business because it's easier for tax purposes. It's easier for bookkeeping. So that means you're only taxed on actual money that came in the door that somebody paid you. Even if somebody owes you money, you don't count that as revenue, even if you've done the work. But for an accrual basis, you're recognizing the revenue when the work is done, whether somebody has actually paid you or not. Like you may give them 60 day terms and they don't have to pay. So you have to make that designation, at least from a tax purpose. Am I accrual or am I cash? At a certain point, the IRS forces you to be an accrual. I'd have to go back and look. But basically, as you get bigger, they want you on accrual-based accounting. It's better for tracking your business because it gives you more meaningful information about how I'm operating. I know that I have this money coming in on an accrual basis where I don't from a cash basis. So that's that's set aside. You can still set up your books to operate on an accrual basis, even if you do your taxes on a cash basis, which is something that I personally do so that I can set up receivables and see when people owe me, even though for the IRS, I'm still doing cash basis. So you you have to make that designation when you're choosing some sort of software and some of them only allow you to do cash. So QuickBooks allows you to do both. Okay, that's probably more than you ever wanted to know. But it is it's important when you're picking it, when you're setting up accounts, because if you choose in something like QuickBooks to use the cash basis, you're not gonna get um, the accounts receivable and accounts payable accounts that you would want to have um, if yeah. you were operating your business that way. Um, so in terms of, of a framework, you can use the basic accounts if you pick a cool and I think like QuickBooks, you know, you can give some information on I'm, I'm a, um, if you use the, the desktop version, it allows you to pick, is it professional services, is it manufacturing, whatever. I think the online version does not. They just give you like a standard thing and let you pull in accounts. Um, honestly, I would probably suggest asking somebody um, who knows QuickBooks or finding an advisor to just help you set it up. Because again, it, it doesn't take that long to set up the account. It's just kind of, you can ask a client, what are you, what are you doing? What, are you selling something? 
um, and they can set it up for you. If you want to do it on your own, um, a trick is always to like go Google and search. Um, like I'm a software company. I sell software licenses. Google example PL for software company and look at what how they have it set up. Um, and you'll see what they what accounts they use for revenue, what accounts they use for expenses, and how they order them. Because mm-hmm. that's some of the other things is like sometimes a non-accounting person will put things in kind of an, an odd order. It's not that it's wrong. It's just not the typical way that people look at their financials. But right. there are plenty of examples out there. I'm a not-for-profit. Go Google not-for-profit. Um, whatever. I'm a manufacturing company. Go look and you'll see that you know they have revenue, less costs of goods sold. And that will help you identify what accounts to put in. But realistically, it's easy just to have somebody set it up for yeah. you is what I would say. You, you'll feel more confident, I think, in your... in the nature that you got it set up correctly. If you are, so certainly if you're doing manufacturing, that's a more complex business. I would not set that up on, on your own. If you're doing just professional services and you have very limited expenses, which is like how I was when I started, you're, you're billing customers for a service and you maybe have you know office supplies, some other things like that. You can probably set it up on your own because you're only going to be picking a few accounts. And then when you decide to engage somebody longer term, at least you've captured all the transactions. They can move things around. It's the waiting two years to even get on a system that's much more complex than yeah. moving stuff around. Is that helpful? Hopefully that was yeah. it is. It's much accounting. It, 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 it's one of those things. Um, and I've learned there's a lot of things that um, is important for my business, but I don't want to have to learn how to do myself. Now, for me, profit is one of the things that I wanted to learn for myself. So that's what I'm doing. But for a lot of people, that's not what they want to learn how to do. So finding uh, professionals like you who can help set that up, because um, I, I just have a strong belief that the more that we are feel like we're in charge of our money with our businesses, the more we stand in that circle, right? More solid. Oh my gosh, abs- yeah, absolutely. Yes, because there are there are entrepreneurs I found who are on QuickBooks, but they still don't have a good sense of their business because um, nobody's ever really talked to through them on how to read the information that they're they're getting. So QuickBooks is great in that, yeah, I can run a balance sheet and I can re- run an income statement, but if I don't really know how to interpret that, right. it's meaningless for me, especially in terms of what does that mean going forward? So it's that, that data that you're capturing that lets you see you know, historically, this is how I've done. And maybe you're a seasonal business, maybe certain months of the year, I have no income, maybe others, I have a lot, all that information is captured. And you can use that to help plan and make decisions. Or, you know, oh, by the way, I'm running out of cash, I don't have any receivables. But you know, having somebody help you interpret those things. um, You can what I often suggest for people who are starting out is that you can, if you get it set up correctly, you can manage the day to day getting the transactions in there. And then sometimes people offer or have an accounting or bookkeeper then at month end come in and make sure or quarter end that their um, their reconciliations make sense. So my my bank accounts reconciled, my credit cards are reconciled. I've captured all the activity correctly, and then maybe generate financials. And if there's something you know to share with it, hey, it looks like you're going to run out of cash in 90 days, or um, hey, you've got a lot of cash, you should consider investing some of that somewhere, or you know moving it out of your business or doing something like that. Those are our options. So there, you know, you don't have to pay like to have an accounting person on staff. Um, right. Right. Yeah. You can just hire somebody who's just doing little bits and pieces and checking in for you 
monthly or quarterly or annually helping you get your books ready to give over to your tax person mm-hmm. um, so that you're not, because those, those people are expensive, like tax people are, can be really expensive. So if they're billing you at several hundred dollars an hour to clean up your books, mm-hmm. um, it's advantageous to give them to them already cleaned. Right. <laughs> and then they, they can just uh, run your taxes. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. I would like to segue now into the last part of our conversation today, and that is about restoration. Um, How we we talked about it earlier in this conversation about how you know we we leave corporate. I left uh, public education, burned out from that. You left corporate America, and now here in these roles too, stress is still here. It's not like we ditch stress at, at our former offices, right? So how do you or do you make uh, self-care restoration part of your regular practice? Yeah, so I think first of all, I would say is that it's still really challenging. And I've noticed that it's become more challenging with COVID in that now we're all working from home. And so the separation between workspace and home space has become much less clear Um, and as an entrepreneur, like one of the things I love is the flexibility about when I work. So oftentimes my days are filled with talking with people, talking with clients. And then when I need like two or three hours to put together a financial plan, I often do that in the evening when I'm uninterrupted. Um, so that's great and it's flexible, but it also, it also leads to never ending work. So it's definitely still a challenge for me. Um, the things that, that I try to incorporate into my, um, life for self-care. So number one for me is being outside. Um, I do have a dog. I walk my dog twice a day intentionally um, because that's very clearing for me. Um, On the weekends, I try to get out to a trail. It doesn't happen every weekend, but if I can spend an extended period of time um, outside, that I find to be necessary time in that you can get so bound up in the tasks that have to be done that there's no time for what I consider the feminine flow and the intuitive and the thinking that just sort of happens naturally when I'm outside and I'm relaxed and I'm with people and ideas just kind of pop into your head. And then something that was so felt so forced before then becomes much more natural. Mm -hmm. Um, I would, one of my goals is to try and incorporate more of that into my business, which is more of an integration of myself in that I feel like accounting is so, logic, more masculine, and this other side of myself that I would love to be able to share more with my clients combining those things. And I haven't really gotten to that point yet. Um, But being outside, cooking um, is another big thing for me because it's creative. And then definitely yoga. So I did go through yoga teacher training, um, all types of yoga, even if it's just sitting for five minutes. um, I have found that I'm resistant to it when I need it most. So if I can just get out of this mindset that I'm so busy, I have so many things to do, I don't have time to take 10 minutes to that is the exact moment when I need. (laughs) I'm telling you though, it is the biggest battle in my brain. It's like, I know this, I know this, I know this, I can't, I know this, I know this. But sitting down for even just 10 minutes um, and closing your eyes um, and just being open to, you know, experiencing the moment. Um, those are the things that, that I do um, to kind of, you know, keep some sort of, I don't want to say balance because it's not a balance. It's an integration, right? The marriage, the marriage between. Exactly. Do you want to share, Mary, what you do? 
I'd love to hear. Yeah. So one of the things that I do almost completely consistently, because there are a few days I'm not, is that uh, when I get up earlier in the morning and I give myself anywhere from 30, sometimes 90 minutes, depends how early I can get up, to get up. um, And what I do during that time, um, the first thing I do is I do some uh, conscious breathing. Uh, So I set a timer. uh, I'm working my way up to five minutes uh, of just conscious breathing. And I really have noticed that the days that I do that, uh, I am much more grounded during the day. And I also catch myself um, interrupted breathing, right? I'll catch myself holding my breath or I'll catch myself breathing too rapidly. And um, so I'm just more tuned into that. And then I can make those changes during the day. And then I also um, do, that's when I do my reading, something that inspires me, something that amuses me. It's about me. Um, So that's what I do on a regular basis. Um, But it's not enough. Uh, I realized that uh, just before the week before Christmas, um, that the, I, I felt everything come undone. You know, it was like I held everything together all year and now it's Christmas and finally have a chance to to step aside from the work. And I did not realize how much I was holding on to. So what I have done for 2021 is I have taken like the last Monday of every month. It's a Merry Monday. And Mary gets to do whatever Mary wants to do for herself on that day. So whatever I do, it has to be for me. And um, and that's it. There, there's nothing else to do on those days. So I'm, my intention for that is to give myself more of that time, more of that time away from my work. Because I love my work. I would do it from, you know, five o'clock in the morning when I woke up to, you know, nine o'clock at night when I go to bed. But I know that that's not healthy. And I'm not as good for it. I don't show up for it when I'm not whole. And uh, so I'm excited. Uh, The other thing that I have also done is I've already blocked out four weeks of vacation for next year. Uh, Because this year with COVID, we had our vacations planned. And then, of course, we couldn't travel. And I never took that time. I just, you know, put it off. So that's one of the things that I'm uh, looking forward to in 2021 is upping my self-care game, too. That sounds great. I got to put that on my calendar, uh, doing the vacation thing. We're having a little like priority setting, like, you know, meeting next week. And I was like, yeah, that needs to be part of it. You know, yeah. all that intentional things about, you know, what am I doing? Who am I serving? Yeah. How, how am I also, you know, making sure we all get a break? Right. Yeah. It, it, the, the experience that I had the week before Christmas was just, it was a painful experience to go through. And uh, it's one I don't ever... I don't want to have to repeat it, right? I'm, there will be times, right, when things are, are really tough like that again. But I don't want it to be because I've run myself down. So it oftentimes it takes getting to that point to make us do something. I mean, that's just part of human nature, right? So you have to oh, just. <laughs> I can keep going. I can keep going. I can keep going. And then I can't. <laughs> so before we wrap up today, Julie, how can people find you? Uh, well, certainly. So my email is julie at watchhergrow.com. You can reach me there or um, through the website, watchhergrow.com. There's a, a contact form there, some information on the services that we have. That's probably the best way um, during COVID. Um, I would love to to talk to anybody. It's, you know, free for the, the first hour or whatever. I, I'm 
very interested in helping women. So I'm happy to answer questions if you have specifics about, you know, QuickBooks and what version of QuickBooks I should get and how to set it up. Um, I do do some financial planning, you know, can help if you haven't done that yet, starting out your business, what that might look like for some scenarios. Um, and then decision-making. I, I think one thing that a lot of people forget is that financial decisions are big and people often reach out to accounting people after they've made the decision when there's very little um, that somebody can do to help, right? So if you're contemplating something big, like, should I get into this lease? Um, can I really afford to hire this person or, you know, much more complex things, you know, related to manufacturing. I was actually a plant controller for years. So I do have a lot of detailed um, experience, just, you know, running it by somebody just like, yeah. Hey, it doesn't have to be a big thing about putting something together, but just having a conversation. I'm happy to talk to, to anybody about what you're doing and hear about your business too. It's always super exciting. Wonderful. Well, Julie, thank you again so much for your time and sharing your stories and, and your uh, recommendations with us. I really appreciate you. Oh, no. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, this is Mary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you are coming away feeling maybe a little inspired, maybe a little more informed, or maybe just rested. Most of all, I hope you're coming away feeling empowered. If you do, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. But most importantly, please pass along this sense of empowerment to your friends and to your networks. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you.